Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, then open it up today to Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, then grab one of the black Bibles that's in the pews around you. And in that Bible, it's going to be on page 943. We'll be looking today at Romans 6, verses 8 through 14. And uh, I was just, just like a family reunion out here today. I'm looking around and noticed some more faces just a minute ago. I'm just glad you guys are here. This is good. Uh, Romans 6, verses 8 through 14. Here's what the, the Lord says to us in the Scriptures, the, the Word of God. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We started out the service today uh, with Dave reading for us from Ezekiel chapter 37, the opening verses of that chapter, where God gives Ezekiel a valley, or excuse me, a vision of this valley of dry bones, meaning dead bodies, and not just dead bodies, but long dead and rotted bodies as though they had been killed in battle and left there to rot for years, just dry bones. And he says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And the answer from Ezekiel is pretty much, I don't know. He says, you know, Lord. I don't know. You know. And he says to him, prophesy over these bones. So he has Ezekiel in his vision speak the word of God over these dead bones. And in that vision, out of nowhere, miraculously, flesh comes back onto these bones and breath goes into the lungs of these dead people, and they stand up and they live. And he says, this is a picture of what I will do with you. This is a picture of what I will do with my people. I will take those who were dead, and I will give them life. One of the ways that that's pictured in the Bible is to say, you must be born again. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and takes people who are dead and lost in their sin, maybe thinking that they were alive when they weren't. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, he's able to take those dead bones and breathe life into them and bring us, who were once dead and lost in our sin, to life from being dead in sin to being alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what this is about. This is where it's been telling us in Romans chapter 6 that that the fact that we have received grace from God is not a reason to go deeper into sin. That that doesn't make any sense if you know what the actual grace of God is. Because what it is is we've been taken out of that status that he was talking about all through the end of chapter 5 of being dead in Adam dead in our natural state, dead in our sinful nature, and he's taking us to being alive together with Christ. So in the first seven verses of this chapter, we we concentrated as it was concentrating on what it means 
as Christians to now be dead to sin. But today he's going to concentrate, he's going to talk a little bit more about being dead to sin, but he's going to concentrate now on being alive to God in Christ Jesus. One of the reasons that people don't come to faith in Christ when they don't, when they just let the gospel slide off their backs like a duck, when they just say, I don't need that, that's for other people, is because when they look at the idea of coming to Christ, it looks to them like death. It looks like death. Because the, 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 the idea that a lost person has, who has not come to Christ, who is unregenerate, still in Adam, the idea that they have of what it would mean to come to Christ is, I have to be dead to all the stuff that I love about this life. That's the idea. I mean, though, uh, Jesus put it pretty plainly in, in John 3 when he said why it is that, that people don't come into the light. He says it's because they love the darkness. They want to stay in the darkness lest their evil deeds be exposed. They, they want to stay in the life of sin. They love sin. You and I, believer, we loved sin before God gave us life in Christ. And so when they look at the idea of coming to Jesus, they think, well, that just means I have to stop doing what I love. Or I have to deny who I really am, who, you know, my true identity that I really love to express. I, I, it just feels like it would be a death to that if I came to Christ. And the answer is, yes, it is a death to that. But those who are outside of Christ, that's all they see. They, they see that that's a death. It just, it's like a stopping, and that's it. The idea is, well, if I come to Jesus, I just I stop having the fun that I have on weekends right now. That's kind of the way that they see it. They don't see that coming to Christ is not just a death to sin. It's a coming alive to God in Christ. And coming alive in a way that you never could be alive in that sin. You know, the, the world looks at life as like, well, you just got one life to live, and so you gotta, you got to try everything. you got to do all this stuff. you got to ha have your bucket list and mark as much off of it as you can because you, you just got one life, so live it up, right? Seize the day, all that kind of stuff. YOLO. And God says, no, that's death. That's death, and to die to that is good, and you need to die to that so that you can have actual life, which is so much bigger and better and actually satisfying, because it's not satisfying in that temporary way where it's just going to be gone when you hit the grave. It's actual life that we would have. So if, I just want to say this up front, if, if there are those of you who are here who for some reason you've been holding off on actually submitting yourself to Christ, on repenting of your sin and believing in the Lord Jesus and being saved, I suspect that probably what's holding you back is not because of the technicalities of evolution or something like that. I think what's going on there is you don't want to die to yourself. You don't want to die to your sin. You think this would just end all my fun and my life, and I just wouldn't have anything after that, and what a boring thing it would be to be a Christian. I'm going to tell you, you don't understand what it means to be alive to God. And we need to understand that. And Christians, sometimes we forget about that. <laughs> 
when we stray far from God. We have that feeling like, well, I, don't, I, just, I, I know if I just go back to God, he's just going to tell me to stop doing what I'm doing. I already know what the Bible says. We forget, no, there's life in Christ. The, 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 the Spirit is life-giving. So that's what we're concentrating on today because that's what the, con- the Scripture is concentrating on today is that not just dying to sin, period, but coming to Christ means being alive to God with a life that is infinitely bigger and better and more satisfying than sin ever could have been. So verse 8, verse 8 of chapter 6 says this, that we have an assurance as believers that we are alive to God. And that's where we need to start. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That's the premise of all of these verses that we're about to be in, that we just read. If we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Okay, It's just a statement right there, saying, here is the truth, believer. He's saying, we do believe this, and he's also kind of saying, you need to believe this, so continue to believe this. But here's the truth. If you've come to faith in Jesus, if the Holy Spirit has caused you to be born again, meaning that you no longer in love with your sin, you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, then you have died with Christ. That's past, that's finished. And it says, we believe that we will live with him. It's stated there in the future, but it's pretty clear as we look at all these verses around it that it's not just about the future, it's also about the present. We will live with him, we will have eternal life, and as those who have come to Christ, we have life. We have life in God. This is really, I mean, this could just be the only verse for the rest of the chapter. If we weren't so weak, it could, he, God could have just stopped it after verse 8. He could have just said, Here, here's the whole premise. We, we know if we've died with Christ, we will also live with him. But we are weak. And because we're weak, he goes on and he explains it. He lays it out. He digs in on this. And so he says, let me clarify Let me clarify what the premise is that we're talking about. So you get to verses 9 and 10, and he says, let's look at Jesus. This is where it all happened. It didn't all happen in you. It all happened in Jesus to then be applied to you. Here's what happened with Jesus. He he says, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's the first verse where he explains what, what's happening with Jesus. This, this, this is the basis of it. This is the basis of the fact that we could be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus is because Jesus is no longer under the power of death. He rose from the dead. Being raised from the dead. I, I just want to say, up, I mean, really clearly here, Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? If you don't literally believe that Jesus literally rose from the literal dead, you are not a Christian. You are a lost person. I I heard somebody one time ask 
They, they, this is a person, he's a pastor, but he, years and years ago, he, he had attended a seminary where after he got there, he found out that the seminary was a lot more theologically liberal than he realized it was going to be. And so he went to a spiritual mentor and he said, how do I deal with a theology professor who, who does not believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead? And that mentor said to him, you deal with him as a lost person. That's what that is. If you think that you can have some form of faith where you are so much more intellectual than all of those hoi polloi who just get together, you know, the unwashed masses who blindly follow after what the Bible says, but you're going to keep the, the traditions of the faith, you're going to maintain the institution in some way or something like that, but you don't actually in your own personal heart trust in a literally risen from the dead Jesus, you are a lost person. And everything that you're doing is for show. And you need to repent. And you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. Jesus rose from the dead. So I'm just going to say that up front. It's assumed in this passage, but you need to know it. And that fact is something that we hang our eternity on. If Jesus went to the cross... No matter how great of a life he had lived before that, and no matter how great of his teachings and his example and all of those kinds of things, if he had gone to the cross and died and been buried and stayed dead, he would not be our Savior. We'd be lost in our sins. We would have a Savior who did not finish paying for our sin, who was dead and gone. We would have a Lord who failed. But Jesus did not fail. He died for our sins, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And all of that mocking that he took on the cross, where people were saying, if you truly are the Son of God, then come down from the cross. Well, he didn't do it right then. He went to death first, and then he proved them wrong. He got up from the grave, and he is alive, and he is our Savior, and he is our living Lord today. If, if you're serving a dead Jesus, then you need to hear the words that, that the angel said to the ladies who came to the tomb. The angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. So if you have some sort of a form of Christianity, some sort of a form of, quote, faith, in which it wouldn't matter whether Jesus is alive or dead, you're lost. Don't seek the living among the dead. Come to the living Savior, Jesus. He is reigning from heaven right now, and he will return in power. He will judge the living and the dead. He will assign those who are just by faith in Christ to eternal life in the resurrection. He will take those who are left in their wickedness and cast them into the lake of fire. You will see and meet the risen Lord believe today that he is risen from the dead. Put your faith in him. He lives. But believer, I want to give you some assurance. I want to give you some assurance about you. If your faith is in this risen Savior, you have eternal life. You have it. You have it now. The whole reason that we know that we have life is because Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death had dominion over Jesus for a little bit of time. We, we call this Christ's humiliation. 
He came and he lowered himself. He humiliated himself by taking on human flesh, becoming man, being born of a virgin, being born under the law, continuing under the law, and, and, and all the way to the point of bearing the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin, if you trust in him or you will trust in him. All the way to that point, and he continued under the power of death for a time. But then Jesus rose from the dead, and he is no longer humbled. He is no longer humiliated. He is no longer under the power of death. He is exalted. And his exaltation is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. There are people in the Bible who were raised from the dead, but not in the way that Jesus was raised from the dead. Think of Lazarus, for example. He's, he's the most famous of those people. Jesus went up to the tomb of Lazarus. He was four days dead. It stank. And he said, Lazarus, come out. And what could dead Lazarus do when the Lord commands him to come out except come out? And he rose from the dead, and he got up, and he walked among the people. There were people who did, that came out of their graves at the moment when Jesus died on the cross. There were other examples of this. But do you know what all of those people did? They died again. One way to think about that is that they, they weren't resurrected in the form that Jesus was. They were resuscitated. They, they were brought back to life for a time, but then after a while, they died again. Jesus rose from the dead in a way that's final. This, this is what it says here in verse 9. He, being raised from the dead, will never die again. If you speak really often about Jesus in the past tense, you might not have this through in your head right now. Jesus is not dead. Jesus didn't rise from the dead and then disappear into nothingness. Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is ruling in heaven, and he still has his physical body even. He is still fully God and fully man, and he's going to return in that same body in the same way that he went. He didn't die again. He's not going to die again. All this just to say, you need to put your faith and your hope and your attention on Christ who is alive. And know that if your faith is in Christ who is alive, then because he lives, you have life. Death no longer has dominion over him. Look at verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. This is explained a little bit also in 1 Peter 3.18 where it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. Not sins he committed, by the way. Jesus didn't commit any sins. He's the only one who didn't. But he suffered for my sins. If you trust in him, he suffered for your sins. He suffered for the sins of all of his people for all time. It says the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Guys, Jesus, in real time and space and history, actually bled and died for our sins, to pay for our sins. And he actually rose from the dead. And whenever you have doubts of any kind, set your mind on that truth. Set your mind on that truth. Jesus got up out of the grave after he paid for my sins. That makes all the difference. That's going to make all the difference in your life. 
That's going to make all the difference in your eternity. That's going to make all the difference for anybody in the world who will receive that truth. He died in the past. He lives forever. He was humiliated. He's exalted. He is alive for all eternity. He is alive even more so than he was ever dead. And he will live forevermore. All of that is put there to say the reason that we can be assured of what it says in verse 8 that we died with Christ and we believe that we will also live with him, the reason, believer, that you can be assured of that is because this has already played out. This movie has already been shown, and we know the ending. You ever watch a really, really suspenseful movie, and maybe the kind of movie where you really don't know whether the good guy is going to live or die, and you're on the edge of your seat and you just don't know what's going to happen? But then you ever go back and watch that movie again? Maybe there's still some fun twists and turns and things like that, but you know what's going to happen. The way that this is saying this is that we have already seen the movie. The first time that the movie played was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified and buried and then rose from the dead on the third day. We, We know the ending. The first time that you saw the movie was when the Holy Spirit took away your heart of stone, gave you a heart of flesh to trust in this risen Savior, to believe in him. You saw it. You know it. You know it's true. And this is saying, remember the ending. This has already played out. It's already done for you at the cross. Jesus has already risen from the dead. This is for you. You have died to sin because Jesus died for your sins. And you are alive to God because Jesus rose from the dead and brought you with him when he did it. It's amazing. Amazing. So keep that in front of you. Don't live as though you've never seen this movie before. Every bit of it is going to turn out exactly the way that God said. And as it's applied to you, it's going to turn out the way that he says in Romans 8, 29, and 30. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's it. That's the ending. And it's good. It's a good ending for you, believer. Look to Jesus and know that he gives you life. So verses nine through, or excuse me, verses eight through ten have been telling us just truths that are true. You might call those the indicatives, just statements of what it is. But we get to verse eleven, and he turns those to imperatives. He said, "Here's what is true of you now." Verse eleven, apply this, live out what is true of you, become what you already have been declared to be in Christ. These responsibilities that go through verse 13, and the first one is in verse 11, it says to consider. Consider what God has said that you are. He says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The command there has to do with your thinking, your consideration, how you count things. This is the first thing to practically do, believer, with the fact that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Once you have believed, here's what you do. Consider 
that this is the case for you. Count it that way. Count yourself as dead to sin. Count yourself as alive to God. Put it down on the accounting sheet. Even if you feel like you're cooking the books, if it feels like it's not true because of some experience where you say to yourself, no, I don't think I'm dead to sin. I don't feel all that alive to God today. There's a command right here that says if your faith is in Jesus, believer, you can be assured that you're alive in Christ, and so mark it down in your brain. Consider yourself. Count yourself on the balance sheet of sin as dead. You don't live to that stuff anymore. Count yourself on the balance sheet of God as alive. This is the category that you are in. Dead to sin, alive to God, in Christ Jesus. When we, uh, well, I went to college in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had a friend who was an intern. I've probably told this story before. I apologize. After nine years, I repeat stories, and I'm an old man and all that stuff. So. But I had a friend who was an intern at the Country Music Association for a few months, and, uh, and she said to some of us, do, do you want to go and be seat fillers at the Country Music uh, Awards or the CMA Awards? And, uh, and said, yeah, sure, it seems like a nice, fun thing to do on a Friday night or whatever it was. So, so we went, and there I was. I, I am not a country music fan. I'm a, I'm a punk rock kid, okay? And I was there, and, I, you know, standing in the back for a while until they call your name. And then all of a sudden, like, they, they pulled me up to the front row, and I was sitting in the middle of people who, even though I, I couldn't tell you what their songs were, I recognized these people. I could tell you their names. And so I, I was sitting in Brad Paisley's seat while he was backstage, right between little Jimmy Dickens and Tim McGraw, for two hours. And just watching all, you know, everybody in the country world come up and give their performances in front of me. And I thought, I do not belong here. I do not belong here. And little Jimmy Dickens' wife leaned over to me and said, do you like this kind of music? And I thought she was on to me. And I was like, no, not really. And she said, me neither. I just don't know where country music is going these days. <laughs> but I thought, I am totally out of place. I have no business in this seat, in this place. But you know what? My name was on the list. I was there. I was supposed to be there. My name was on the list. They told me where to sit. That's where I was supposed to be. Believer, do you feel out of place in the kingdom of God sometimes? Do you, do you feel weird? Like, I don't feel dead to sin. I don't feel alive to God in Christ. Well, here, here's the truth about you. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, your name is written in heaven. This is true of you. And because it's true of you, you can consider yourself dead to sin. You can consider yourself alive to God. No matter how much imposter syndrome you have, you can say, this is true of me. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples when they were tempted to count themselves as, as God's children because of the great things that they were accomplishing. He said to them, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's an accounting thing. We have been counted as righteous because of Jesus' righteousness applied to us. And as we trust in Jesus alone for our salvation, we count ourselves as dead to sin and as alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Those last words there of verse 11 are not throwaway words, where it says, in Christ Jesus. This is the concept that was introduced in chapter 5, that we were once in Adam, and now we are in Christ. We were born as part of the whole lump of humanity, united to our first parents, Adam and Eve. But we, when we come to Christ, we are no longer, we are severed from that relationship. And we are now united to Christ as our head. Christ as our head. I, I, I do have to, I have to go down one little rabbit trail here real quick. Where it says, in Christ Jesus, this is one of those verses where if, if you were to run into some of the just godly, godly people from the King James only church down the road, I love those people. When I see them witnessing, I just thank them. I am grateful that they are sharing the gospel. But this is one of the verses that they might bring up to try to say, your modern translations are evil. I don't know if they'd say it quite like that, but they might look here because the King James says, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you have as your baseline the King James Bible, then you might look at Romans 6.11 in the ESV or in other modern translations and say, they have cut the lordship of Jesus out of here. Well, why did that happen? Well, I'll just say this. The King James Bible is an excellent translation. It is excellent. And I would say that in the Old Testament, it might still be the best one out there. In the New Testament, it is an excellent translation of the Greek manuscripts that they had available at the time. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of ancient Greek manuscripts available to us to tell us the exact wording that was given by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul. And I'll just say this, if people are copying it thousands of times, don't you think that sometimes they might add on some words from other verses that they know by accident? Or they would say, Christ Jesus, our Lord, when in fact it just stops at Christ Jesus? And then if another guy comes along and he has that copy and he has another copy that says the original, don't, don't you think, you think he's going to say, well, I'll just not write our Lord here because it says our Lord here, it doesn't say our Lord there. I, he's going to add it. He's going to be worried that he might leave words out. So this is just how it happens with the copies. But we have, from the manuscript evidence that we have available, just very good confidence that that verse stopped after the word Jesus in the original. Not because the Apostle Paul didn't feel that Jesus Christ was our Lord. You look back at Romans chapter 1 in the opening verses, what, what does he say that this is about? He says that this is about his son, the son of God, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no shrinking away from the lordship of Jesus here just because this translation is different from the King James. It's because we have a greater understanding of the original now than they had 500 years ago. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But as I say, that's all a side note. That's just a rabbit trail that sometimes we have to go down these little rabbit trails that arise because of contemporary issues. But the point in the text is this. The point in the text is we are dead to sin and alive to God, not in ourselves. It's not because of you that you're dead to sin and alive to God. It's not because of some effort that you have made it's not because of some level of spirituality or religion that you've accomplished. It is in Christ Jesus. 
It's only by being united to Christ that we can have this new life. There was a uh, English Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs. He said this, From Christ as a fountain, sanctification flows into the souls of the saints. There, sanctification comes, not so much from their struggling and endeavors and vows and resolutions as it comes flowing to them from their union with Christ. Sanctification, that's, it's that growing in holiness. And it, it, Do you want to grow in holiness? If you're a Christian, I know you do. I know you love to grow in holiness if you're a Christian. Even if you don't do it. <laughs> but you love it. And you will do it if you're a Christian. But it's not going to come from your efforts. It's going to come from Christ. And that's part of what this says right here. That it is being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The New Testament scholar Doug Moo said, one may as well tell a drowning person simply to swim to shore as tell a person who is under sin's mastery not to let sin reign. You just can't do it. You might go down to the waterfront in Atlantic Highlands. You might look across and see the Manhattan skyline there, and you might get the idea to yourself, I could swim to the city from here. It just looks like it's right there. Well, I have bad news for you and good news for you. The bad news is, if you try to do that, you will die. The good news is, there's a ferry that runs from Atlantic Highlands to the city. And you can get on it. And it will take you. If you think to yourself that by the power of your own will, that you can go to God, or that you can grow in holiness just by the power of your will, I have bad news, which is you can't. But I also have good news. There is someone who can do that for you and take you there and take you along with him. And his name is Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one that we need to be united to. We need to get on board. And in Christ, you can consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Don't let sin dominate you. Don't let sin dominate. That's the next, the next imperative here, the next command in verse 12. Do not let sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Oh. Don't let sin reign. Guys, I'm going to do something that I do sometimes. I'm going to cut this in two sermons. That's what you just saw me decide when I looked at the clock. I just want to, I want to encourage you in this. I want to encourage you in this, okay? Believer, you might think to yourself, I don't, I don't want to come to God because I don't want to lose the life that I have. I don't want to lose the identity that I have. I, I don't want to lose the fun that I have. What you have is Death. And it might not look that way right now. It might look like a shiny $100 bill, but when you, when you put it under that black light, it's going to turn up counterfeit. It's going to be death. And you might think to yourself, well, okay, I'll just give it up and have nothing. That doesn't sound great, but that's not what it is to come to Christ. It, it, you don't just repent of your sin, period. You 
believe in the Lord Jesus, you come to Christ, you come to treasure Christ, the author of life, the one who has created everything good for his glory and for your good, if you'll come to him in faith. Come to Jesus in faith, die to sin, and be alive to God in Christ Jesus. Believer, believer, I want to encourage you. If you've come to Christ, no matter what you feel like today, you are dead to sin, you are alive in God, you are alive in Christ, you've already seen the movie, you know how it ends, and he's taking you with him. He died and he rose again, you're dead to sin, you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the grace that we have in Christ. It, it is unspeakably huge. It, it involves his death for our sins, which is something we can't even comprehend. We, we can't even wrap our minds around the fullness of who Jesus is in his very being. But, but to know that he's sinless and to have come and, and laid down his life for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God, that is incredible. And God, we, we pray that you would, Lord, that you would bring those who are dead in sins today. I pray that you'd bring them to life in Christ. God, give them the grace, regardless of how they feel about it, just to, to cry out to you, to cry out to you for salvation, to cry out to you for forgiveness, to cry out to you for life. And I thank you that you give it freely, Lord, to, to everyone who comes to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us who have Christ to consider ourselves dead to sin because we are and alive to God in Christ Jesus because we are. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the life we have, and I pray that you would give us the grace to believe it, to count it, and to live it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.